Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Mary Abajay. Mary is the president and CEO of Careerstone Group, and she's based in Washington, D.C., and I'm really excited to chat with her. So welcome, Mary. Well, Jono, thank you so much. It's a delight to be here with you today. And uh, for those listening, tell us a little bit about, I know I just mentioned what you do, but a bit more about who you are, anything you want to share and, and what you do. 
and a day in the life of Mary right now. What does that look like? Oh my goodness. Well, here's what I do or what I say that I do. Uh, I am uh, the owner of a small boutique consulting firm called CareerStone, and we do leadership and organizational development. So that looks like a lot of working with organizations to create really great workplaces. We do a lot of facilitation, a lot of team building, a lot of work around employee engagement and organizational culture. And on the other side, we're doing a lot of professional leadership development. So we're working with leaders at all levels from emerging to mid to senior, helping them be great leaders, leaders that people would want to follow. And we're also helping a regular people at work develop the skills and the sensibilities that they need to be successful in the 21st century. So that's what we do. Oh, and I'm also the author of this book called Managing Up, How to Move yeah. Up, Win at Work, and Succeed with Any Type of Boss. So we do a lot of work around helping people build really productive and positive working relationships with those above them, below them, and across from them. That's what I'm really passionate about. So with all that, a day in the life of Mary Abijay is crazy. It is like, I feel like a juggler. Like I am constantly juggling so many different things, which is fun. I like it. And every day, Jono, is different. Like today uh, consisted of getting up, uh, walking my dog, doing two live virtual presentations because everything's virtual here still in the States, and then back-to-back -back meetings, and then pitching a client, a new thing, and then designing a new workshop for these college graduates. And so that's today. Tomorrow, I'm going to be on stage with front 200 people. Like, so every day is really different, which I kind of dig. It's really fun. Oh, yeah. And then I also have to like talk to my team because <laughs> they still like to engage with me. And I have a small team, about five people, but they still need me to be their happy leader. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Let's hear a little bit about your story now. So what? I'm interested to know what are some of the moments as you look back, even as far as childhood, that really shaped you becoming the leader and the person you are today, Mary? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, when I think back as a child, I was very shy, <clears throat> very reclusive, very bookish, uh, which is so funny because... And it's not because I didn't like people. I didn't know how to be with people. So it's funny now to think of what I do for a living because what I do for a living is like teach people how to work well with other people. Um, and I'm on stage and I'm doing all this and I'm out in front of people. So I think part of my career has just been kind of one long therapy session, <laughs> one long like get myself fixed up better session, like learn how to be a human being with other human beings. So that was you know, kind of my childhood, like struggling with that. <clears throat> and then I think my real leadership journey really started. I mean, I had a lot of different jobs in a lot of different fields. And then, um, and I was, but it's always like a one person department. And then I was working for the city government of Washington, DC. And I was working for a very popular, very well-known uh, leader here in DC, not federal government, local government, and he killed himself. And so there I was, I found myself stuck working for the city government, which I didn't want to do, uh, and wasn't sure what to do. So at that point, I decided I'm going to take a big, big left turn, <clears throat> wow. big left turn. And my sister and I opened a bar <laughs> in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. And yeah, a bar. I was a, I'm a bar owner. And we did so well that then we opened up a nightclub. And so I think that was the, my first time actually being the leader, uh, being completely not only in charge of the people, of managing a, a team of people, but being in charge of the business as well. You know, like really like the buck stopped with me. Um, so that was, I learned so much about leadership, about people, about customers, about teamwork, about fiscal responsibility, about the bar business, uh, in those two things. And from there I decided, you know, bar business is really kind of boring. Um, basically it's every day, you know, three things you've got to ask yourself what's broken, who's not showing up for work and how much will those, both of those things cost me. So what I, what I realized doing that the bars, the two bars is that we were, my sister and I were very lucky and we were very successful. And people used to come and ask us all the time, like, how did you do this? How did you build such a great team? How do you run such a great business? And I found I was, I so enjoyed 
telling other people, sharing with my sharing my story with other people and helping other people success, be successful, that I thought, you know what, I'm going to sell these businesses and I'm going to start a consulting company. That's what I did. Went back to school, got a couple of degrees in wow. uh, organizational development and leadership, blah, blah, blah. And then started my consulting practice about 20 years ago. So that's my leadership journey. <laughs> I know it's crazy. That is, that is really a, a crazy, uh, a crazy journey and just incredible to, to, to hear uh, the path. I can't help but ask. Leading, uh, you're running a bar and a nightclub. What were the biggest lessons you learned around leadership that have really <clears throat> stuck with you from that period of time? Well, first of all, if, don't ever own a bar unless you really unless you really enjoy people. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> and a bar and a nightclub are so different. Uh, so I there's five big things that I really learned from uh, from owning and running the bar. One is you gotta hire great people and then let them do their thing. Yes, of course, like with a bar or a nightclub, you've got to put parameters around things, but really trust your team and hire for the like, hire for the person, not the skills. I taught tons of people how to be good waitresses and good bartenders, but I hired for personality because that is what was important to our business. We wanted to create a certain sort of feel, certain sort of, you know, uh, emotion, a certain sort of jam at the bar. And so I hired people that would really flush that out. Then trust people like you have to trust people. And the thing with owning a bar, which I'm sure you'll know for anyone who's ever worked in one, is you just got to assume your staff is going to steal. They're going to steal a little bit. But what you have to do is make it so that they don't have to steal. So we used to give our staff like literally uh, unlimited um, unlimited uh they could they could they could buy things they had an unlimited comp check so they could at their discretion they could buy people a round of drinks or a bowl of french fries or whatever it was because we trusted them to bring it in um the third thing i learned i've got five of them for you the third thing i learned is that the customer yeah, is not so always good. right <laughs> yeah <laughs> And sometimes you're going to have to stick up for your staff over the customer. And so that was a big lesson. Uh, being a transparent leader was really, uh, really important. A big lesson learned for me. And, and two things kind of happened for this. One is I I'm an introverted leader. So I'll come out and say, you know, we're going to do it this way. And then it never occurred to me to explain why to anybody. And one time my sister sat me down. She said, Mary, everybody loves you. We know you're the smartest person in the room, but you could share a little bit about why you want to do things a certain way. And I was like, well, isn't it obvious? <laughs> She's like, no. So learning how mm. to share like the reasons why behind yeah. your decisions, right? I mean, I love that. When when people understand why you want to do something or why you've made that decision or choice, they're much more likely to get on board. You know, the other thing about transparency that it actually, I'm embarrassed to say, it took me like a year to learn is that um, it's transparency around, around the fiscalness of the business, the actual numbers, the money, the cash. And so I would never tell my staff like how much we were ringing every night. And uh, because I was afraid that if they knew how much we were ringing, they would steal more. Like they just would not care as much or whatever. And then one night, one of my waitresses said, Mary, why don't you just tell us the numbers? And so I'm, she's like, we want to beat every number every night. And I was like, oh, that Ooh. never occurred to me. So <laughs> then I started saying like, it's nine o'clock. We've rung, you know, 3000. It's, it's 11 o'clock where, you know, and that really inspired them to do more and to do better. So that the whole transparency thing was a big, like, you know, slap on my forehead. I should have thought of that. <laughs> and then my last thing I learned owning yep. a bar was that happy internal customers, I mean, happy internal culture, a happy group of employees, a happy culture, a great place to work creates happy customers. So I really think that there's a big connection between, between the climate and the culture of your workplace and the experience that your customers or clients are going to have. Happy employees create happy customers. Yeah, they're fantastic lessons. I love the lesson around sharing the numbers with your people right? because it's it's uh, I, I've literally been working with leaders recently in similar sorts of businesses, um, uh, like in in sort of hospitality, where it's a that that's a challenge. And I think the the thought process is similar to what you had. But I'm I love I can't remember what book it is. Is it uh, around? Um, around goals. It might be the four disciplines of execution or it's, it's one of them. 
but it's and they talk about the the difference between uh it's like the difference in intensity if you go down to the park and you just kick a you know, you just kick a, a football or throw a football around to use NFL, you know, uh, you just throw a football around with some friends versus having a, having a game where the group of you, are, you know, you know, you just need one touchdown to win with five minutes to go. What's the different intensity that you'd play at in those two settings. And for me, cause I love sport. That was really, when I heard that, I was like, of course. And it's so good because what you, what you did is you were able to say, come on guys, we, you know, we're, or, you know, we're, we need one, one goal to win tonight. And that, and that creates not only by keeping score, but then actually creating that intensity around it and having something to, to push towards. It changes everything, but it's, it's so, it's so simple. And you know, I, John, that is such a great analogy. I wish I had like, I wish I had talked to you like 15,000 years ago when I did that, because you're exactly right. That creates an intensity. It creates a shared goal. And then when you hit the number, you have a celebration. Like you're like, woohoo. And it doesn't have to be some big thing, but it mm. really does coalesce everyone around a shared goal, uh, something tangible. You know, the other thing about the transparency, I'm sure I'd love to hear your opinion about where you, where you saw your, your clients on this, but during the pandemic, um, I was very transparent with my team around, you know, what this means for us, because for our business, you know, almost two years ago, you know, that everything shut down here in the States. And I was like, oh, it's going to be two weeks. It's going to be fine. Well, two weeks later, it's not going to be fine. And we saw all of our engagements just cancel, 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 because our work is primarily done in person with our clients in groups. Yeah. Uh, mm. And so I was like, oh, I had like the, oh, you know, I can, can I say the word shit? Get ready because you might have to like beep that. I had an oh no moment uh, with right. that. And so as we were talking about it and it became very clear that uh, this could be a problem, I said, I pulled my team together and I said, here, here's the story. Here's how much money I have in the bank. Um, here's what we're good for. I could pay all of your salaries in full for at least, you know, eight months, whatever it was. And then if, if we haven't regrouped, if things are still looking bad, then we'll have a conversation. But I was really transparent about where we were fiscally and what this meant for us and what I was going to do. We were going to try to get a PPP. And I think they really appreciated that. And then what they did is they're like, no, this is no problem. We're going to take everything virtually. And they created Every, they took everything that we do and they wow. created a virtual format. And we actually, don't tell anyone, we actually had amazing, the last two years have been amazing fiscally because we have done, mm. we have been able to do everything virtually and our clients have just jumped on board. So, but I think a lot of that stemmed from just being transparent. Here's the problem. Here's the situation. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. And I, I think it's, um, a lot of people have, gone one of two ways with uh with through covid you're exactly right they've either kept their cards really close to their chest be out of fear or i i have seen a number particularly and actually with with um clients in the hospitality industry i was really impressed with um the way one of them had that conversation with uh and chose not you know just chose not always fully as transparent as i think you know they probably could be but in this season they went okay here's where everything is and, and like you did it wasn't a case of saying here's a step-by-step -step plan that we right. know for sure because so much is up in the air but just telling people honestly where everything is uh, put, putting some thoughts out there to say this is what I'm thinking will happen if this this or this and and people are so much more receptive to that because I think um I think this the challenge a lot of leaders have particularly business owners is you can feel like you're the uh, you know, if you're the business owner, there's this, I'm the, I'm the superstar driving the Ferrari. My people are looking at me going, why, why are you, um, you know, why do you get to drive a Ferrari when I have to turn up in my normal car? And it's like, well, firstly, are you driving a Ferrari? Because most of the people thinking about this, <laughs> um, where, you know, we're not there yet. <laughs> and it's like, actually there's like, I, I just don't think great people, great employees think like that. And most leaders, when, when they have this sort of thought process and you push on it a bit, you go, well, wait a second, but if your business did that well, I'm guessing you'd be wanting to share it in some way with your people. 
And they go, well, yeah, yeah. I would. It's like, well, so wait, you're telling me that even if you get to that point that you're so scared of where all your people are like, oh, I'm so jealous of your your success, you'd actually be sharing it with them. And as a team, you'd be doing better. So I, I think it's, I think that whole um, fear of, and just assuming the worst about how people are going to react to you is really, uh, I just think it's not it's it's not true. If you have great people and you trust them and you treat them well and you share the reward. So if you have an amazing uh, time, you actually create, uh, you know, you make it amazing for them as well, not only because of the goals they've hit, but also because of different ways you, you reward them. Then I think people actually love that. I think you're so right. And I love that you pinpointed it like it's a fear that leaders have around sharing too much or being too transparent or fear of the employee's reaction. And the truth is, to your point, you know, most employees don't want your life. <laughs> My employees look at me and they're like, Mary works 24 seven because I love it. We we don't want that. That's great for her. So great. we are happy with what we got. We you know we're happy with her generosity. We don't you know, because they're not going to want your life or and chances are they're not going to be jealous of your life. Um, and, and so you, you should like, the more you share, just the more they feel connected to you, the more they feel connected to the mission. So I don't know why people are so afraid to uh, open up the kimono for a bit. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, something I wanted to ask you about your story. You took this big, uh, this big pivot. And um, do you remember the moment for you when you really made that decision to sell you know, to sell the businesses and go and pursue this? Like, was there, I, I know it would have been a bit of a journey, but do you remember, was there any sort of key moment that you can recall where you really decided this is, um, this is what I'm going to do? Yeah. You know, I had been, you know, after owning the bar, uh, for a couple of years, I knew I was getting bored and I said to my sister, you know, I kind of got to get out. She said, Oh no, no, you're just bored. Let's open up a nightclub. <laughs> so we were like, all right. Cause it's fun. You do that. You do the build out, you start something new. It's a little exciting. And then I was like, Ugh, I'm over. And it was probably waking up or coming home one night at like 530 in the morning, because that's what time you get home when you own a bar or a nightclub, because you close up at three or four, and you take an hour or so to clean up. And then you're like sitting around, you have a drink or two with your staff. And then it's 530. I remember just coming home one morning at 530. And just being like, I hate this. I, I hate this. I hate this, hate this, hate this. And so it was just I was just I knew it wasn't good for me. I knew it was was not good for my mental or physical health. Um, and so I just decided that was it. Like that was it. I was just tired of being hungover, um, or, or no sleep, not having mm. any friends because when you own a bar or a nightclub, all your friends, like your real friends from the past, uh, are, have day jobs. You never see them. And, uh, and so that's why I just, I yeah. made the decision. I called my sister and said, I'm out, I'm done. Um, and we made it happen pretty quickly. And I, immediately went uh, back to school. I went to Georgetown and got a master's in organizational management and just, I just dove right in. But I will tell you, it wasn't, I make it sound really easy, but I probably suffered like six months of panic attacks. Um, mm. Like, am I doing this right? Do I know what I'm doing? It was, you know, the dark night of the soul. It was not an easy pivot. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was an easy pivot. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It is, I, I can, I can imagine it would have been I mean, obviously the fruit's there now where you love what you're doing, um, but making that decision and, and, and going through that, uh, that, that big pivot to actually choose to give that up and, and go, no, I want to actually do this that I, I can see that I'm really passionate about wasn't easy. Um, what about now that you've been doing what you've been doing for, you know, for 20 years, are there any favorite stories you have of transformation for a client or um, just really meaningful you know, where you've helped a team and then something's happened that really stuck with you for some reason as a, you know, reminding you why you do what you do? Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, you know, I, as I, I mean, let me think of something, but as, as you're saying that, you know, one of the things that I love about what I do is I get notes from people all the time and I get notes that say things like, you know, 
this experience changed my life or your book changed my life or your presentation changed my life. I recently did somebody's podcast and to be honest, I didn't remember who she was, uh, but she had heard me speak somewhere in, um, I think I was in Chicago speaking. And she then two years later, she calls me and she's like, I just want you to know there's something that you said. And quite frankly, I can't remember what I said. Um, oh, I, I met with something like I said, nobody's coming to save you. You have to save yourself. And she's <laughs> like, I left that conference and I literally quit my job and I started this new thing and I am happy and I'm successful. And it's all because of you. And wow. that is so overwhelming when someone says that to you and it's so gratifying. And the thing about this kind of thing is John knows, I'm sure, you know, you never know when you're going to change someone's life. You never know when some offhand comment or some direct comment or a piece of feedback or six months of hard work with the client is going to change yeah. their life. So it's just when it happens and it comes back, I just it is nothing makes me happier or makes me feel more grateful uh, to be what I do and to be connected with people than things like that. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. And that's uh, <laughs> I, the thing I love about that as well is sometimes you'll, you know, if you get to do, uh, you know, what what we do, you, you share something and it might be, you don't even remember that you said that particular yep. thing. You remember something else. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, gee, that was what I just said there. That was really good. But then someone <laughs> will say to you, I love asking at the end of a, you know, with a working with a team or a room or one-on-one, -on -one, what was most helpful. And I love the you know, someone will say, oh, you know, you just mentioned this and that, that, I th that's really stuck with me. I think, did I even say that? And, and yet that's <laughs> what people find most helpful. And it's very rarely, um, or one of the things that I find most enjoyable and, uh, you know, uh, a little bit, you know, it helps with humility is when I do a one-on-one -on -one coaching session and uh, share some amazing piece of advice. I think it's amazing. And then after, you know, at the end say, what, what do you find most helpful? And, 90% of the time it's clients saying, just having the time and space to talk it through. <laughs> right. I know I, that makes me laugh so hard because when you think you're being really, really profound and really like, oh, I'm going to change your life, it goes right out the air or they'll come mm -hmm. back and they'll say, you said this. I'm like, well, you know, I didn't really say that, but if that's what you heard. That's perfect. That's right. <laughs> you know, one thing when I used to do a lot more consulting, um, I do a lot more, me personally, I do just, I do a lot more public speaking uh, these days. Uh, my yeah. team does most of the consulting, but you know, I would, I would give my heart and soul to my client. I would think really deeply about like what the right organizational intervention is and then design it and then redesign it and like just pouring everything into it, like putting it all on the table. And then after the engagement, I say, you know, what was really most helpful? And nine times out of 10, John, they'd say, I don't know, Mary, we just like hanging out with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Great. So I killed myself. Yeah, that's and I could have just been hanging out with you. I'm sure you get that all the time as a coach. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's so true. It's like, oh, just having uh oh I, I think as well it's been it's been good because when I'm when I'm in the room with the team as well, um I think it's been really helpful just to realize that sometimes having a being the facilitator in a room with a team and just being there just being yeah. who I am. And, and, you know, I've had, I think it's Patrick, Len Patrick Lencioni, who I love his work on um, organizational health. And he talks about, you know, just being willing to ask the silly questions. Yeah. Um, and he has great stories where he looked like a complete fool asking these, actually, I'll share one of these because it's one of my favorites and it beats any of my stories so far. But I remember him talk about this point saying, as a consultant, he's sitting with the CEO and CFO of this really big company. And uh, as part of what they're doing, you know, in, in his sort of work with them, they've started looking over some numbers. So he's completely lost because he always talks about how that's not his strong point. They're looking over these numbers, pouring over it together. And, and he's, he's like, okay, this is, this is where I'm probably useless, but I'll stay present and, and just do what I can. So they're going over the numbers and then they're talking about here are the, well, what are the options? And these guys are talking about all these really strategic financial things they could do. And he's just sitting there and he goes, and he has this thought and he thinks, Oh no, that's, you know, this is not my wheelhouse, but he goes, no, I'm going to share it just because trying to just be authentic to that whole, if you think of something, share it. And just, even if it's stupid, that's fine. But one in 10, you know, can be helpful. So he goes, Hey guys, I don't know, here's a thought. Have you thought about going um, public and doing an, you know, doing an uh, IPO? 
and uh, and these two guys who this is their thing, right? Like this is their specialty area. They stop and they pause and they look at each other and they go, well, that's actually a really good idea. That might be like, it was just <laughs> for him not having any financial sort. He was just hearing them talk about all these numbers and, and he goes, well, like, isn't, isn't it about this sort of point where a company might go public and and these guys are like actually that's that's a really good idea and that's what they did they ended up doing that and i feel like so much of my work is being being the person in the chair or the person at the whiteboard who says well have you thought about going public and you go this is the stupidest idea ever and 9 out of 10 times it is and people look at you and they're like oh no that <laughs> That's actually, that wouldn't work for these 10 clear reasons. But then one in 10, um, people go, oh, that's, um, yeah, why do we do that? Or that's actually, yeah, why 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 haven't we thought about doing it that way? Just because you're coming in without any of those sort of um, assumptions. Yeah, the assumptions are the preconceived notions. Well, you know, another thing that I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but, you know, First off, of course, I know you would agree with me, like being in the room with with people when they're either in pain or they're trying to figure hard stuff out, like that's such an honor. And mm. sometimes I think, and it's like our use of self, right? How we use ourself in the room uh, to be able to give people the comfort, the safety, the framework, the process to talk about things. But sometimes as the facilitator, you're also going to be the lightning rod. I can remember when the first times I facilitated like a difficult group gathering, mm. um, it was a, it, it was a basic organizational assessment. Um, <clears throat> and so we were feeding back the information, uh, to the staff and the leadership. And it was a good, hard conversation after the conversation. And there were five members of the executive team. After the conversation, we go back, I go back and I do a debrief with the executive team. And this one member of the executive team, we'll call her Ellen, uh, who did not like me. She was like, I thought this was terrible, Mary. I couldn't believe when you said X, that was the wrong thing to say. And I'm thinking, good God, like, I don't think I said that. And I said, Ellen, I'm so sorry. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't remember saying that. Could you give me more context? And uh, she started talking and then the, the president goes, no, that wasn't Mary who said it. That was me. <laughs> and, she goes, and then she goes, okay, 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 David, but how about when Mary said this? And then another vice president said, no, that wasn't Mary either. That was me. So I don't know if you've ever had that experience where there's dysfunction in the executive team and you become the lightning rod for it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I it's have, crazy. It's, it's and you know what? To be really, to be really honest, and I, I say this to, to clients as well. If I'm one of the people in the room who's part of the team or the leader, I find it in. I find it really hard. And, and in fact, I don't know how good I am in that space. But when I'm the facilitator, it's a different hat. And so when you and so you can be. You know, I, I remember having one team. Um, and anyone from that team who listens will remember this because, um, and I, and I just, I remember I had a chat with the, with the leader around this idea of poking, poking the bear, um, and, and not being afraid to way. go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we had sort of, we, and so I knew I had permission to sort of go there and, and it was one of those sort of times where it's like the, the leader pulls you aside and goes, I, I just, we, we really, you know, time's running out in this, in this time we have together and I really want to you know, see something happen in this area. And I went, okay. And I threw out my plan and we just did this session where I just kept, uh, and I told them, I was like, I'm just going to keep poking the bear. And it's the great because Jono nice. in the, Jono in the room, if I'm one of those people is, is scared, is really awkward and uncomfortable, is, is struggling so hard to try to be present and not get defensive and do really well in that setting. But when I, when I was as a facilitator, I just kept poking and um and it was it was it was actually such a it was all it was like all this uh it was like all this stuff just came out and finally just got dealt with and they're great people and a great team and so actually afterwards though everyone was so tired it was actually so tiring and emotionally draining for all of them and i have to admit i was a bit tired too but the the funny thing is if i I'd, i would struggle to do that as a leader yeah but as a person like like you said as a lightning rod I know that that's something that, that I was able to sort of help facilitate and um, and that was a big turning point for that team. So, yeah, it, it is an honour, um, but it's not necessarily that I'm great at doing that when I'm the leader or in the yep. team. That's something I struggle with. But as the person who's come in, 
like you said, a lightning rod's a great. <laughs> you you can. Um, and then, of course, you don't mind. Well, I, I don't mind anyway if stuff gets thrown at me because it's like, well, I, I don't have to turn up tomorrow. No, you, you get to go, go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's great for the leader and for team members if you do have a dysfunctional person that, well, that yeah. you can push them. Yeah, you can push some. And two things I want to pick up on what you said, which I thought that was a great story, is one, you know, when you're going to have conversations like that, like use a framework, use a metaphor. Hey, everybody, let's poke the bear. Mm. And when you can set people up to understand, okay, we're just poking the bear. Let's poke the bear. Like I think <laughs> those sorts of metaphors, those sorts of frameworks can give people permission uh, to actually, you know, poke the bear. And I do think that it's a great thing when leaders can bring in an outsider to help them have these conversations, because if a leader's leading this kind of meeting, then it's going to be impossible not to get defensive. Yeah. And so when leaders can actually bring in neutral third-party facilitators, they get to be just one of the team. And mm. the last thing I want to say about your story, which struck me as you were talking, is that facilitation and leadership really go hand in hand. I really learned so much when I went to facilitation school and I really think it's a skill and there's some techniques and there's a mindset around what it means to be a facilitator that I think could really aid a lot of leaders. You know, mm. understanding how to be neutral, understanding how to really encourage and get input from everybody, understanding how to frame meetings and conversations. So I think facilitation training is such a great thing and I really do would encourage any leader out there to go uh, get some facilitation training, take a day course or read books on how to run great meetings. Cause there's the act of facilitating conversations that matter that I think is a leadership super skill. I agree. That's such a great point. And you're right. If I can't tell you the number of leaders, uh, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. The number of leaders where I come in and they talk about 10 different problems and I spend a bit of time with them. And you know what the biggest problem is? So, or not, not even the biggest problem, the biggest area of opportunity and the biggest uh, where I see all the solution is in how they meet. And it's in yes. how they facilitate their time with their team because yeah. they've got all these issues. Don't they help me with this and we've got to solve that. And I don't know what we're going to do about this sort of fire that's that's over here in this part of the team of the business. But then you, you go to the meeting and it's... Um, you know, a it's disaster. just a list of to-dos or everyone's out of there in half an hour because we've actually got real work to do. And I'm just sitting there going, if you facilitated as a leader this meeting really well, eight out of 10, nine out of 10 of those issues would probably get solved. And then you would have the foundation to actually go and attack the one or two that are left. Um, is you that similar are, for you? Oh my gosh, Jono. Yes, yes, and yes, 100%. You know, you go and you talk to these leaders and they tell you their problems. And one of the first things I say is, well, what do your meetings look like? Well, I don't know. There we do this. It's, oh my gosh, if they, if leaders could learn how to run better meetings, so many of their problems would be solved. They could learn how to run meetings that matter. So many would get solved. But you know, honestly, I think people are kind of lazy and, you know, Ooh. thinking through the design of a meeting is a lot of work. I have clients yeah. that will hire us to do retreats and I'll be like, all right, so let's going to take a couple hours of planning. They're like, what do you mean? Here are the five things we're going to talk about. I'm like, yeah, but you got to think about how you're going to talk about it. How are you getting like, who's going to be like, it's, there's so much to think about, but people don't really want to think about the design of the meeting. They just think about creating an agenda and we're done. Yeah. And yet we'll put so much time and effort into other, other things. Other and things. Uh, yeah, this is, this is the, this is one of the big ahas that I find myself again and again, trying to like l walking into a situation. I feel like it's, it's probably one of the top five things where if someone said, what, what are the, what are the five biggest uh, things that you see working with leaders that, that like, if, if they could just change that, it would change everything. And it would be this uh, actually investing in how they run meetings yeah. and then being consistent with that. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a game changer, but you're, you're right. It's like, we'll, we'll stay up to, we'll stay up to 2am working on this, you know, this other report or this working on something for that client. But then when it comes to actually planning the time um, and even from a, even financially, if you think of who's going to a retreat, you oh think my God, of the, it's so Oh, it's, so, it's expensive. so expensive. So you want to use that time. Like if you've got if you've got eight on an executive team of a big company, you you can be talking, you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars of time by taking them away. So you want to 
you you want to invest in how you're doing that and um and that i think that's also good for leaders to remember when they're looking to invest in bringing someone in is like yeah. well actually you're already spending tens of thousands of dollars so maybe don't try to spend three hundred dollars and and you know have someone just parachute in for one hour and then leave and go that was great you know what do you need oh, to that. do to and actually don't, and don't, do it well don't think the facilitator is going to solve your problems like it's a partnership like you can't just hand an agenda to a facilitator and say make this happen mm. you really do have to like put a little blood sweat and tears into it yourself with them right yeah absolutely you know, um, I, I, you know, even though, even though I know how to facilitate meetings, so I'm a leader of a team and we have regular meetings and because I know that I am not going to do it myself, I like think about the design. I have handed off the meetings to my staff. So they design the meetings. They talk amongst each other, what they think we need to talk about, how we're going to talk about. And I got to tell you, leaders out there, if running a meeting isn't your thing, give it to your team and have them share the load and have them get creative. Um, I mean, it's easy because my team's all facilitators, but you know, you know, the old expression, the shoemakers kids have no shoes. If they let me run their meetings, they'd be like task, 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 Audi 5,000. Yeah. <laughs> not be good <laughs> have you um have you come across i know i i uh i'm a bit of a patrick lanchoni uh fan so i his name does come up a lot have you come across his working genius assessment that's come out in the past 18 months i uh, know but we we've used the five dysfunctions or the um or actually it's and now on the wiley one that he has the the whole assessment we use that or the five qualities i think he made into a positive thing we've yeah. used that very successfully uh with a lot of executive teams before um and it, and so i am a big fan of his i want to ask you in a moment for assessments that you're loving um uh but working genius is just it's it's only new they the table group patrick lynch only brought it out in the past 18 months and one of the things i love about that um assessment is it's 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 uh it basically just looks at how each of us gets work done and there's six different geniuses and i mentioned this because one of them is called the galvanizer and um, the galvanizer is the genius of that person who's able to um, to really rally people around something. And um, for me, one of the big ahas I've had about working genius is that uh, I probably assumed a great leader, a great visionary, and a great galvanizer, or a great almost like a almost like a coach, you know, actually uh, in the sporting sense, who who gets the players around and gives them the pep talk in the lockers. I assume they were one and the same, but it's helped me sort of understand that some leaders, um, some leaders, some leaders achieve things by doing great futuristic vision, which is, which is me. And, and that's how I work. But I, I mentioned this because if you have people in your team who are galvanizers, that's something I've, I've been working on with teams. When you identify a galvanizer in your team or somewhere else in your organization, like a colleague in your executive team, what you can actually do is parachute them in or really ask them, like invite them to really um, help facilitate. And uh, there's a couple of things because I run really slow meetings and it's great for offsites. It's great for high level thinking, but something I would do if I was a leader um, on, on the ground, you know, with, with a, with a team, you know, as part of a large organization or, you know, a, you know, a mid-level manager, I would look for a galvanizer in my team and I would be, inviting them to actually help run the meeting because their natural gifting is to rally us together and actually move us fast. And I know organizations where there are people who I, I've been able to say to them, look, such and such is clearly a galvanizer or they've actually done the working genius and it's come out that that person's a galvanizer. And I've said they need to be in the seat with you somehow helping to run these meetings because one of the because it's one thing to tell that person you need to change how you run the meetings but sometimes there's a lot of themselves they have to you know people like you said it's not necessarily their gifting in in how they're wired and so you can literally look at some of the people around you and bring them in and and say to them and this is oversimplifying it but really say to them can you help me run great meetings like i want this meeting to be inspirational i want us to have really like and it's best best practice if you have a great framework and there's heaps out there, but even just starting by identifying a galvanizer, inviting them in saying, help me make this awesome. And you'll probably find they'll just be in their wheelhouse actually doing what they do. And it'll take automatically, I think it'll make anything you do sort of three times better. Um, I think so, so too. That's I a recent 
revelation for me. Yeah, I love that. And you know, what you're really hitting at is, you know, even, uh, you know, out, even outside of meetings, it's about leaders need to be hyper self-aware, like really self-aware and not just self-aware of like, oh, I'm feeling impatient or, oh, you know, I'm this or that, but really understanding the impact of their leadership style, the impact of their working preferences, uh, the impact of their behavior on their people and knowing when it's right, when it's not, when it's not right, when it's not enough, when they bring, need to bring in somebody else. Because I think to your point about, uh, about about the idea people, the, um, the innovators, and like the galvanizers, they're not necessarily the same person. And I think leaders are reluctant to invite galvanizers in, or they're reluctant to uh, mm. to invite uh, you know the idea people in. Or and I think as leaders, one of the things that we have to do is really understand not only our strengths and our weaknesses, not only our personalities, but also the impact of our way of being in every single context. And when it's time to bring in a different style or a different person or lead from a different strength or a different part of you. And I think that's really hard for leaders, but I love what you said because you should absolutely be bringing in other people to lead, but depending on what you need to be led and who, and who's in the room and what do they need and what kind of impact do you want them to have? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, are there any assessments that you're really loving that you and your team are using a lot at the moment or you've just seen, um, yeah. you know, that leaders could potentially go in and jump into? So we do, so we do a lot. So we, one of our, well, you know, the Myers-Briggs, we still do a little bit of that, but you know, we've been doing a ton of disc lately, uh, mm -hmm. with, um, from the Wiley platform and we use that a lot, uh, as sort of like an opening window, uh, yeah. into both leadership styles. We use it a lot for team building. It's a really simple framework. It's not the end all be all, but what I like about the disc is that, um, you know, it's a four quadrant profile. People tend to remember it. They tend to remember who they are. They tend yeah. to recognize themselves and their colleagues. So, you know, personality frameworks are really good to give you a little bit of insight on who you are, how you operate, how you may impact others, how you may be misperceived by others, how you may be misperceiving other people. Uh, so mm. we find that really helpful in terms of like team building and in terms of very much initial uh, uh, leadership development. We also get asked a lot to do strengths finders, which I have to be yes. honest, isn't my favorite. I think it's kind of like, I think there's what, 31 of them. I think that's kind of hard to explain, yes. but people really like it. Uh, and so if people like it, then we love to teach it. Uh, and then we do the five behaviors of uh, uh, highly effective teams, but that's the only one. And then, you know, we have been doing quite a bit of emotional intelligence, the EQI 2.0 and the EQI 360. Those seem to be very, very popular lately because uh, they're giving people a window into who them, who they are. But, you know, to be honest, I've never met an assessment I didn't like. I love that stuff. I love <laughs> the personality profiles. I think they're so much fun. I think they're so interesting. Uh, it's just a matter of like what's kind of in the zeitgeist that clients are talking about now how about you what are you guys using a lot of now yeah no you mentioned a few of them there actually disc is is one of my favorites and you exactly the same reason because it it's it's such a great starting point it creates those amazing handles that people seem to remember and it creates those conversations that um which is i think what it's all about sometimes we love the really deep yeah uh so i'm, I'm a big fan of the enneagram um, but the challenge with the enneagram is that unlike disc it's it's very deep about people's motivations and so it's yeah. great if you have a team who already are invested in that then you can really uh i feel like you can you can do some really great work but if you if you're introducing it to a team disc is definitely right up there uh working genius like i mentioned is so working genius is similar to disc it has some really um it has six geniuses and everyone has two that are there sort of the way the way they explain it is like um there's which which i love this is a great analogy even beyond working genius but it's so it's so good they talk about your two geniuses being like a coffee you pour coffee into a cup and then you put the lid on you know, a keep cup and it's like stays hot. When I'm doing that sort of work, I it, not only does it sort of energize me, but I stay like that. If I do that day in, day out, like for you doing what you're doing for 20 years, it stays hot. Like it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't change. It fills you up. Then the next two, which they call your working competencies, I think 
is like having the lid off. So it's still, it starts hot. But if I do that day in, day out, there's a point where it starts getting cold and then it's undrinkable. Cold and stale, you know? cold and stale. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and the challenge with those is you start off and it's hot. Like you start off doing a bit of that and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this, but it's it's not actually where your genius is. Um, so they call that the working competency. And then the bottom two working frustration is they use the analogy of, of having a coffee cup and just poking a hole in the bottom. And it's like, forget staying hot. <laughs> That's forget, great. Forget cold and stale. You go to have a drink of it and you're empty. And it's like, you, everyone could do a bit of that, but if people are doing it. that day in, day out, then it's, it's you know, it, it really, I, I think it's a great um, framework as well for identifying risks of burnout. I'm going uh, to go check it out. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, so that's I'm using a lot of that because, and it's exactly like you said. That's what I love about disc as well. It's it's got enough depth to be helpful, uh, but at the same time, it's really quick for people to grab onto it and be able to to use it. And for me, that's actually in some ways, I think it's been more important that people can actually remember it and use it than yeah. it is how like if you spend if you spend a week in it, how life changing it is. It's like that's great, but to get a whole team, you know, in a, in an average company out there right now to really invest in one of the, you've usually got a couple of hours. Um, yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's it. Uh, Strengths finder. We use that. We use that too. Um, and uh, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to think, yeah, they're probably the, they're probably the main ones. Um, and uh, but, but like you said, I love any assessment and I love learning new assessments because none of them are perfect. But if you think of them as a tool, that's the key, right? It's like if you, and you know what, to tell, like to tell a bit of a secret in terms of as going in and working with teams, if you do anything that helps people. So I'll often say to someone, you know, to give my sort of trade secrets away. I was chatting to someone the other day and I was like, look, and I didn't come up with this. I saw someone do it. I was in a room where someone did it. Do any sort of assessment and get people standing up in, in the room, depending on how big they are, moving around to their different corner. So I love doing this with disc. People stand up and move into the four corners, you know, based on what their number one is. And just by, like it sounds ridiculous, but just by doing the assessment, <laughs> getting people moving around, which I find is just a bit of a hack for making it more engaging. <laughs> It's uh, it, which is simple, but it honestly works. And then getting people just talking about it, like you then go, okay, so the group over here, what's it like to be a person, you know, uh, with influence? Tell us what that's like in communication. What do you like? You can ask any question, and people will then answer it from that filter. And afterwards, people will have had aha moments. And it's like sometimes we think we have to, we have to know what we're working with, like in some, like be able to give people this incredible advice about what DISC means to them. But it's actually just about um, asking them some great questions, getting them to talk to each other, using the tool as a filter. And people go, ah, yeah, like this once again, Mary might sound like oversimplification, but I feel like so many problems in teams are solved when we, because I know I've been here in a team as well, you look at someone and you go, oh, wait, you're not an idiot. Yeah. Oh wait, you yeah. don't hate me. Yeah, you're just exactly right. different. <laughs> like yeah, you're that's when so you <laughs> when you turn up a bit late to those things or you miss a deadline or you know it's possible that you don't hate me and you're not actually trying to be like the bane of my existence. You're actually just there are other things that you're really good at. It's not an excuse for those things that happen, but your intention behind that possibly isn't as horrible as I've assumed it it is. And that changes that one thing where a bunch of people change that perspective and go, oh, okay, maybe we're just different rather than naturally assuming the worst. That's a game changer. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I we start off almost all of our sort of personality sessions with the concept of intent versus impact, uh, which I think is a game-changing uh, concept for many people. And when we talk about that, we say, listen, we all walk around with intentions. Most of our intentions are good. You know, we intend to do this project correctly. We intend to, you know, uh, do uh, this, uh, have fun with this project, whatever it is. But people don't know our intentions. They only 
see our impact. They only feel our impact of our behavior. And so if I'm working with you and let's say that you are a very detailed person and I'm a very big picture person, your need for details might mean you might ask me a lot of questions. You might be really slow in getting things done. You might be like the kind of nitpicking things. And so I'm going to judge you on the impact going, well, that Jono, he's a nitpicker. He doesn't trust me. He's this, he's that, he's a pain in my butt. Where in fact, your intention is to get accuracy, right? And so once I can mm. separate your impact from your intention, in other words, not assuming your intention, not yeah. fall, the falling prey to the fundamental attribution error, then it's mm. like, as you said, like light bulbs go off in people's head. Oh, Mary's not just um, unfriendly. She's just driving for results because I am a D. <laughs> she just <laughs> wants to get things done. Her directness doesn't mean that she's rude. It just means she has a need for speed and wants to get stuff done. I yeah. so agree when people can separate the story they're making up about that person, the story about that intent and separating from the impact is game changing. Uh, the other thing I want to pick up on what you said, which just makes me laugh is people, if you are running meetings where people are physically located, get them up and move them around. It has a very powerful impact on people. I can't tell you the number of meetings I've facilitated where the client's like, yeah, no, you can't move people around. No, they can't get up. No, they won't like that. And I'm like, okay. I won't. And then I get in the room, John, oh, what do I do? I'm like, all right, everybody, this corner is this group, this corner is that group. And people love it. They, 99% of people actually like to be engaged and do things that are a little different from normally just sitting around a big old conference table. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's funny how it changes. I don't really understand exactly what it does, but when I was in the room and I remember we were doing this one assessment and the facilitator got us all to stand up the back of the room and based on where we scored for each of these. And I remember looking down the line, it was, we all sort of had lined up in those and, um, and there were sort of a bunch of different sort of numbers and then we'd move around. And so one time you'd be right at the top because that was something that you were really on that side. And I just felt, I just was like, wow, what is happening? This is so interesting and so good. And yet I'm just standing in a line with people and moving around. Um, so yeah, it does. It makes such a difference and it just changes how you, see things as you're yep. talking about disc as an example and you're you're standing in the eye influence quadrant looking at like conscientious or com compliance in the other corner there's something about just doing that where yep. you it just helps you to actually remember it, it helps you to feel it <laughs> to see that person that you've really been clashing with and go Ah, oh, okay. I get we're, it. We're well, the other thing it does is like it's a kinesthetic, it's a kinesthetic sort of like uh, yeah. reinforcement of whatever you're doing. And even like if I was doing a meeting that didn't have any personality stuff, uh, I will often like I was uh, doing something for our uh, Department of Transportation once, and uh, they had a big debate around two kind of spectrums of 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 the role of a regulatory agency. And you know, there's all this conversation. Everybody's all like talking, all trying to be smart. And I finally said, all right, get up, stand up. And on one side of on one side of this line, go stand there if you think X is the right thing. This side of the line means Y. Stand where you are on the line that feel that you think is the right kind of balance for this agency. And so people <laughs> got up and they put themselves in the line. You could just see them going, I didn't think you thought that because you said this and it was amazing because they suddenly were like, oh, we're not that far apart. You know, like this is like, why are we arguing about this? <laughs> like, It was really funny. So just it can be such a useful thing to physically have people. We call it moving with your feet. Go move with your feet and show yeah. physically like what you want to do. It just gives a whole new perspective and viewpoint around where people are, what they're thinking, and how they talk. People will actually talk differently when they're standing up. They're usually more brief. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I used to have that with the team I led. I'd, I called it a. Um, it's a once again. It's a Patrick Lencioni. This is a. This is a good um, advertisement for Patrick Lencioni this episode because I've mentioned him about forty times. Yeah, he's, but, he needs to send you some cash for this. But go ahead. He does. It's um, or he could just come on the podcast. That would be there I'd you be go. happy with that, Pat. If you're listening, um, anyone knows Pat, just drop him a line for me. That'd be great. Uh, but um, the no, the the funny thing is, I remember uh, he talks about this idea of what does he call it? Uh, the daily check in, and yeah. uh, he talks about standing up and. Yep. <laughs> And uh, so I had this team and I like to sort of put my own sort of spin on it. And so I had this on your toes meeting 
and um, just to be like, you know what, the point of this is not to get settled, is not to have a long meeting, but literally, and everyone was, everyone at first is like, really, we need to stand up. Like, can we just, you know, sit down and have this short meeting? And it's like, no, when you're standing up, things do actually, you, you move are faster. You move faster and you get out of there in seven minutes instead of 17. Um, as true. soon as you sit down, it, it goes longer. So that's um, so true. I love yeah, the stand up photos. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, stand up huddles. Well, Mary, this has been so much fun. I so much would fun. love to invite you back for another episode down the track because I didn't get to do Leadership Express because I just kept asking you uh, and and chatting with you about things. So maybe we need to do that next time. And oh, uh, but I was so looking forward to Leadership Express. <laughs> I know. We'll have to keep everyone. We'll build the anticipation. Um, All right, but I, I got I to gotta answer one of the questions because you asked me about a movie or a TV show. So I've got to yes. tell you about my current favorite TV show. Oh, yes, please. Um, go for it. And it is Mythic Quest. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Mythic I Quest. I want you to think of it as I think it is. I'm obsessed with it. It is the best workplace comedy on TV today. I want you to think of The Office meets Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It <laughs> wow. is hilarious it is so true if you watch the show you're gonna see like you're gonna see every character you've ever worked with ever <laughs> in the 21st century and there it's you know it takes place in a company that creates a, a, a big uh, virtual game and so and by the way one of the lead characters is australian uh and oh, it is okay. it is the it is the office uh, the office show it's the, sh the show the office but it's for the millennial and gen z generation it's fantastic I'll check it out. I love The Office, so I'll definitely yeah, go and check it out. You're going to love this one too then. Okay, thank you. Great recommendation. And um, we'll keep everyone waiting for the rest of those questions when we catch up next time. Maybe we need to do that sooner rather than uh, too far down the track because <laughs> this has been so much fun. Um, now, where can I know you mentioned your book. It would be great if you could mention that again. And where can people find you if they want to connect with you, want to work with you? Great. Well, my book is Managing Up, uh, How to Move Up When It Work and Succeed with Any Type of Boss. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere that sells books. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Mary Abajay, on Twitter, Mary Abajay, on Instagram, you got it, Mary Abajay. Uh, the company is careerstonegroup.com. You can find us there. Uh, so yeah, link me, tweet me, email me. Just don't call me, Jono, because I don't answer the phone anymore. <laughs> That's right. You're probably on a Zoom call when people are calling you. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> why all my phones are always on off because I'm always on a Zoom presentation or a Zoom meeting. So uh, <laughs> the best way to get me is to email me, text me, tweet me, LinkedIn me. Brilliant. Um, well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I think uh, this has been so much fun chatting with a, another person who does uh, what I do. But if I was a leader, I'd be listening to this and taking notes because there'd be a bunch of things you can go and uh, implement with your own teams. Um, and uh, so, yeah, thank you to our listeners. Don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast, which you can go and check out. And uh, I want to finish today, though, <clears throat> excuse me, by saying a massive thank you to Mary for being so generous, being so uh, hilarious. I've just, I've really enjoyed spending time with you and uh, I can see why people love working with you. And uh, also just the wisdom around the different, all the things we've talked about today has been uh, really enriching and, and it's been a wonderful conversation. I know it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you for being so generous and, and coming on, Mary. Oh my gosh, Jono. It has been so much fun. I wish, I only wish we were doing this over a cocktail because that would be even more fun. <laughs> maybe maybe next time <laughs> <laughs> well i hope you enjoyed that episode of the leadership conversations podcast as much as i did if you're joining us for the first time don't forget to check out consultclarity.org that's our website consultclarity.org we have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. 
I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself, and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it, and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time. 